Well, you know, I'm over here in Europe uh, for, for a while. And I think they have this in Australia, definitely not in the U.S., which is what I want to bring up. Have you noticed that the, uh, the worker people uh, in Europe and I think in Australia, they, yeah. have, they have, it might be different colors, but they all have this one kind of like overall uniform they wear. Yes. Like, and they yes. have these, they have these pants where the front pockets are on the outside, which I think uh-huh. very interesting, but so they might have the pants, but the pants always the same. We had a dude yep, out, yep. we had a guy out here to, uh, fix our dryer today and he was wearing the full on onesie, uh, of like the kind of like <laughs> the worker person thing. And like, I remember seeing this when I came out to Europe whenever long ago and thinking like, what, what is that? Like, is this, this must be like a city worker where they have a uniform, but no, it's like, if uh-huh. you're, if you do, if you're a worker, I don't know what to call that nowadays without offending people, but if you're one of these. Okay. Well, in, in Australia, they're yeah. tradies. Tradies. <laughs> Man. Yeah. Yeah. So they actually at, at like, you know, your, your target big W's, there's a section in the, the clothes. Oh, the clothes uh, are called oh. tradies. I thought the people were no, called no, no, tradies. No, no, like, no, I got, no, no. I got to hire they, me they a tradie to fix trade. my Barbie. No, no, no. They, All right. Australia calls people tradies, right? Oh, they do. So it trades, trades persons or, tra- you know, uh, people who, you know, trade they're, folk. they're fixed. Yeah, trade folk, right? The trade folk, uh, they call them tradies, and they have like a section of clothing where you know they've got like the like three three aisles of flip flops or, or thongs as they call them here, and then um, there's like a tradies one where they have the yellow shirts uh-huh. and the pants with the the outside pockets and boots. There's some boots. Oh yeah, and it's like a whole aisle, and it's the exact same thing. And but you, but you would to agree, notice, like, it's like the same cut, like the same. Oh yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. And 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 it's like I guess they they probably have uniform stores too, but you know all the you know the tradies are just like, hey, I'm I'm an independent plumber, but I'm gonna dress like you know big co plumber guy too. Yeah. So and, now I, I want to clarify: the clothes are called tradies. And the no, pe- the, no, no. The people who the, do the work are called the tradies. Yes. Okay. Not Paula tradies. Yeah. They're tradies. Just tradies, man. <laughs> Australia. All right. All right. <laughs> now, now, Brandon, I want you to, we've been away for a little while. You know, we get back to Seattle and some other places, but like in, in the U.S., no tradies. I mean, we know we have tradies, but there's no tradie clothes, right? Not a consistent mm-hmm. uniform. No. Yeah, I think there's the uniform, but there is just like I guess we would just call them like construction or work clothes, right? I mean, yeah, you can go yeah. to any uh, big. Uh, but I do. I don't know. Sometimes I I see that and I'm like, kind of makes sense, right? Looks like a lot of that that uh, looks very functional. All of that that uniform. It's got like a lot of good pockets. Uh-huh. I think doesn't someone like in London or not London alone, England, they call it like a boiler outfit or something or or boiler room, or boil, I don't know. There's some kind of overalls that I thought are really popular too. So uh, yeah, yeah, well, it, it could be like a, it could be just pants or overalls, or you might even have a full. Um, what is what did my grandpa wore these coveralls? Whatever it is, it's not oh, like yeah, it's not it's like, like a, a retiree bib. uniform. Yeah, yeah, and if you really want to slick it up, you got some sort of like pleats coming down, and there's a built-in belt. That's really like that's a good look. Oh right there. yeah, was it was it Sansa Sansa, Sansa belt? belt? Well, that you know, I actually have some Sansa <laughs> belt pants that I had tailor fit, and uh, now that I've lost like thirty pounds, they fit again. So I need to find an excuse to wear them. There, I sh- there's a picture of me wearing them somewhere. They're pretty slick. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm I'm looking forward to to being retired and wearing a, a onesie. <laughs> yeah. 
You but come what, into the maybe, world in onesie, you may, go may, out of the maybe. world in onesie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm not sure I came in wearing a onesie, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I, I have I have one more uh, topical to me question. So we, I was, I was. <laughs> I was at I was at uh, one of these you know what do executives actually want to hear event last night and you get you give a gift out like a thank you gift and this one this is a wonderful one it was you got a pivotal mug it was full of fancy chocolate it was a good mug there was some left over so I had one but apparently I don't forget it is but there's a word in Dutch for not a gift but the gift you give someone at an event like this and I was trying to think like I don't think we have a word for that in English it would just be gift. We have this phrase, a token of appreciation, right? So you might like, someone might come to an event of yours and you would be like, we'd just like to give you a token of our appreciation, but there's no word for it, right? Like, it, would you agree? It's just, it's just gift. Yeah. I think so. I think sometimes people say like a host gift, like if someone, if you're going somewhere and they bring like a bottle of wine, if they're having you for dinner or something like that, yeah. but I don't know, we don't have like an official word. Yeah. But the, like the word use. they used was something like appreci or something as if it was oh. like, what I heard is it's some sort of like appreciation thing or I don't know, it's a fascinating topic. I also learned today, uh, this evening that there is a German word for, uh, sadness while walking through the forest. So <laughs> good, good for the Germans. It's <laughs> well, uh, always good. Well, uh, let, let, let's see. One, I think since I always like Suse uh, or talking about them, I find them fascinating. Looks like they're an independent company again. They got spun off by their venture firm. They were part of Microfocus, if I remember right. Yeah. Yep. Now, yeah, yeah. now I read one story. I didn't. I, it said something about their revenues doing well, but I didn't actually come across actual revenue numbers. Did did, did y'all see that anywhere? Nah, they're going to keep that quiet until they, you know, until yeah. they have to. Doubled revenue until they go public. Yeah. yeah. What, what's what's uh what's y'all's take? What's the deal with Suse? Like what? Uh, I don't know. They they seem like a viable business. People know about them. I see. I see that. Uh, what do they got a gecko? I see that gecko show up every now and then. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, you are they, know, are they just sort of like happy to be here, or are they they like sharpening the knives? Where where are they on that gradient? I think they are uh, the 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 loyal opposition, right? Mm. And uh, the nice thing about them is, you know, I I never see. I know, like, I can think of probably one person I know of who runs Susa outside of like either working for them or working at a company. And the, the interesting thing about Susa though, is I only run into it like people with thousands of installs of it. <laughs> oh, and you can help you know, them with their computers. Well, well, yes, yes. But it's like, you know, you, you hardly ever run into like, you know, Oh, well we've got, you know, we've got some Susa over here and we've got some Ubuntu and some rel. It's like, no, we're a Susa shop. Uh, we have 1500 nodes. Mm. And you're like, Oh, okay. Well, we'll, we'll, pull out the zipper support and read some documentation to see how, you know, your distro is different. And, uh, yeah, but, uh, you know, I, I, I guess, you know, this is probably a good time to be Sousa, right? Your, uh, your competition is, is getting, uh, uh, gobbled up by, by IBM. Um, I, I know there was, uh, so I saw some press last week that said the acquisition might be slowing down or not happening. And IBM was like, yes, it is. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like I don't know where you got that, but things are going as planned, which is funny because it's, man, it's still it's, what six months away from closing. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, those things always take a long time. Take a long time. But I think yeah. of Susie is sort of it's interesting. It reminds me a lot of like the Uber Lyft situation where 
Red Hat is obviously the Goliath. It's being acquired. But Susie, and I think maybe this is why the recent acquisition, it is kind of this interesting almost like insurance policy or lottery ticket kind of thing. Like if something were to falter, right, if Red Hat were to falter or there would be some right. issues, then um, Susie would be like a natural uh, uh you know, place to like fill that in. So in this case, I, I don't know if we would call them, I guess them and Ubuntu, right? So it's like, I don't know who's two, who's three, but there's kind of like different products there, enterprise versus consumer and stuff. But, yeah. um, you know, just the idea of like, I can see where if you're a private equity firm and you're, you know, you kind of have money to spend and you wanted to just own it, like almost just in case kind of thing, right? If something bad were to happen, with Red Hat or the situation at IBM Red Hat, just the kind of the FUD that's out there, then oh, yeah. uh, Susie would clearly benefit from it. So from an investment thesis, that's interesting. And then if you can get it at the right valuation, right, where you're, you know, whatever that means, like, you know, you're, it's paying for itself or it's worth the hold, um, like maybe you hold it for the next three years and you just kind of like, kind of say, I have the insurance card in case this Red Hat IBM thing goes, goes sideways in some unpredictable way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm definitely seeing uh, seeing people starting to hedge their bets against IBM. Um, I mean, against the the Red Hat IBM acquisition. Uh, you know, I mean, IBM has said that they're going to leave Red Hat alone, but uh, I I do have one large customer who's you know they're getting out of CentOS, getting out of Red Hat, and, and moving to Ubuntu. Hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, it's sort sort of uh, somewhat somewhat dangerous territory for me to ask, but like. <laughs> But like, why would you be afraid something was gonna go wrong there? Like, is IBM suddenly gonna want to sell you AIX or something? Like, it seems <laughs> like, 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 what's gonna happen that you would start to? I I have all sorts of answers I could ramble on about, but that would defeat the point of asking the question. Like, what? Why would someone change their position with Red Hat? Um, I mean, I there there's. <sighs> Wow, you know, I guess this is kind of the point of our show, right? Is to you know to 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 theorize on 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 you know the workings of how open source works, but uh, to question the assumptions, the <laughs> epistemies. Yes, yes. I think yeah. it's more simple. It's the unknown unknowns, right? The yeah. unknowns, okay, answer, right? Okay. It's it's just kind of like Uber. It's like I don't know if anyone predicted that whatever that guy's name is, Travis Kalanick, right? Sort of kind of imploded, right? And so where where Lyft looked like completely done and uber was going to have 99 percent market share uber just a lot of self-inflicted wounds sort of revitalized lyft and and i think everyone kind of looks at it now it's like yeah there's a reason there's a number two and and lyft you know at least it's not as dominant but it has some market share and i think you could say the same thing here it's like i think ibm i totally believe it like it's a, every intention to making the acquisition go well and minimizing disruption to any clients but you know you don't know right like what if there was a radical uh uh, change in licensing models, right? What if right, there was right. some, you know, uh, you know, kind of like as we've seen, you know, we've talked extensively about like uh, there was an attempt to change the the uh, the actual open source way it was licensed, right? Like somebody did that, then you you could see any of those kind of like things that seem very unpredictable um, being a reason. And then you know, like would that like it seems almost impossible the way that the acquisition structured in the current leadership that that would happen, but. I don't know, like like just a total random thing would be like activist investor gets involved in IBM, you know, gets control and then makes unanticipated changes to the company. Right. You could say, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. you know, you've got to like just have a, uh, an account for that. Right. Like what would you do if that happened? Right. Or, or like they try to compile Watson into the kernel. 
or something. <laughs> that's right. So, so, that's right. Like, Can you hear me now? Open shipped and once and together that's at last. Right. Yeah, no, that, no, that's that's a solid explanation. Is it, it's just it's just the unpredictability of it, right? Like as beforehand, yeah, yeah. it's very predictable what both entities would do, and then you have this new combination, and you don't know why. Uh, you don't know if it's right. like peanut butter and jelly or peanut butter and asphalt, right? Like you have like the really closest uh, analogy I, you know, in like my like sh- I don't know short or long IT career, depending on how you is, would go back to uh, Sun buys MySQL and then Sun I think mm. un- sort of unexpectedly gets bought by Oracle, right? Yeah. So if you would go back in time, like when Sun was buying MySQL, I think people are like, this makes sense. Sun's very supportive of open source, and you know they're gonna make they're gonna take it on, and then you know you've a year later. Uh, what what seemed kind of unfathomable that MySQL would be own, owned by Oracle happened, right? So then, of course, like, then like I re- as I remember, it was like Postgres got really popular then, and you know, other databases got forked and things like that. So I mean, there's just always that kind of just unknown situation. So I've been back to like the thesis here of owning SUSE. You know, it's you know it's been around, it's super stable, it's just kind of chugging along. It could become like the de facto place to go. Uh, move to if something suddenly happened, which again I'm not predicting. I don't think that's going to happen at all. But mm. but yeah. it's, it's 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 a good time to be Susa though, right? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I, I, you know, except for the fact that like their two biggest partners are SAP and IBM. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah. So you know, but uh, yeah, they're going to be the insurance policy for you know people who like RPMs. Yeah. Um, I, I, well, I should, guess I mean I, I guess go back Canonical and... would be in the same. Uh, category, right? I mean, yeah. I don't know. I feel like we talk about them as much just because they're, I don't know, they're just doing their thing. So maybe that's a good thing for them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, definitely it's it's got to be good for Canonical. But I, I feel like, you know, SUSE, despite the you know, changing of hands of who their, you know, corporate parents are, like, they've got a long track record of being, you know, just, you know, steady commercial, you know, vanilla enterprise Linux, you know, canonical is, you know, they, they've got some of that, but like SUSE has been focused on it forever. Yeah. So, so you made the, uh, what was it? The something PM joke. So what's, what's the, what's the SUSE world of, of the stack, right? I, I assume they don't, I don't know what I'm talking about, but they don't use like Ansible or something like, and then you're, you're over in canonical world and they all have all their own tools there to like do everything oh, like like their juju and their charms i don't know if they still have that but back when but then in the suse world like what are they what are they doing with their ancillary tool chain what what's their stack of things i don't really know <laughs> <laughs> um you know it, it's it's kind of like uh, uh you know the the distros have dabbled in configuration management but they never really seem to break out past their initial packaging formats, mm. right? So, so SUSE's got YAST and RPM and Zipper, uh, which are kind of like, you know, their configuration, their, their, their tool for managing the whole, you know, distro and the whole fleet. But they, they, you know, they, they definitely, they had some chef uh, in there for a while. Um, you know, I'm sure they've, they've got, you know, probably some Ansible and Puppet and Salt. Uh, I don't, you know, so they, uh, they don't seem to have a strong portfolio opinion. They're just like whatever. No, I I don't think so. And and I think you know Canonical has tried, but I think most of their customers have been resistant, to, or you know they've they've wanted to use what they're going to use. So, hmm. all right, there we go. That's uh, that's <laughs> that's your quarterly Linux update. <laughs> very very exciting part of the computing stack, Linux. 
11 <laughs> operating system. Well, all right. Well, let's say uh, you were operating at a Matt Ray scale of uh, family Thanksgiving IT management, and you had thousands of servers that you wanted to configure, but you wanted to keep track of them. You, you got to see what's going on. What, uh, what, what might you look for? What might you want to use to manage those thousands of servers? Well, I have just the thing, Kote. Uh, this week's episode is sponsored by SoloWinds, and one of their DevOps tools is AppOptics. Nobody likes a trade-off, Kote. So why trade off when you can have it all? Developers are having to choose between monitoring everything and staying in their budget. The result? Major gaps in their monitoring. Well, AppOptics is monitoring that you can afford to run everywhere. Pricing is based on host hours, not maximum count or high watermark. With AppOptics, you can catch performance issues before your customers do. Find the root cause of any application or server issue in real time. AppOptics lets developers and operations spend less time troubleshooting and more time doing what they love, delighting users. It's a SaaS-hosted, easy-to-manage, and budget-friendly. Learn more or try it for free for 14 days. Just go visit appoptics.com slash SDT, that's A-P-P-O-P-T-I-C-S dot com slash SDT. And of course, we thank SolarWinds for being a great sponsor. And when you visit them, make sure to tell your friend, tell them your friends at Software Defined Talk sent you. I feel, I feel like you almost made a jingle out of spelling that URL, which reminded me. Is it true that Mr. Gaddy's went out of business? Are they no longer in operations? Oh. Is that true? I don't know. I've not, I have yeah, not seen yeah. any news on this. Well, Is that true? Well, it, the as, guy in Australia a, has the details. Yeah, <laughs> well, because uh, it was sent to us, and I had to get to the bottom of this because, um, you know, there, there's a list of things we missed from Austin, and uh, you know, for whatever reason, uh, my wife said she really misses Mr. Gaddy's, and well, we were hold talking on, hold about on. it. Let me interrupt you. I know why, <laughs> because it's the best pizza in town. Ah, uh, yes, yes, uh, it's it's good, um, and they they declared bankruptcy. And uh, it was one of those, like, you know, to get away from your debtors kind of, or your mm. uh, people you owe money to. And uh, they got – I think they got bought um, by some guy from <sighs> Papa John's uh, who, you know, he came in. He was like an exec from Papa John's who moved to Texas, and he's bought, like, the corporate holding, you know, what's left. And they're closing some of the stores, but they're keeping most of them open. So, you know, it's a restructuring bankruptcy. Wow. Oh, you right. have a second career, Matt Ray, in the, uh, <laughs> uh, the, the well, what do they call well, that? The, the casual food uh, private equity restructuring <laughs> business? I think you could be a you know, CTO of that business. It's it's in the family. My uh, my brother does manage a, a pizza place in Austin. So Oh, yeah. really? Subject Do you want to give a expert. shout out? Give it a plug. Yeah, yeah. Little shout out to Eastside Pies there. Oh, oh all right. <laughs> he's Eastside Pies guy. Well, that, that's the it. first place I ever went to where they cut your pizza into squares, which uh, oh, was was a little confusing. Know. Well, I can report Eastside Pies is now growing because they opened a uh, store on the west side, which is going to confuse everybody. So yeah, there you yeah, have it. Got a north side one too, but yeah, mm. good good stuff. Um, uh, if you see my brother, he's uh, the one who's taller than me but balder. So. <laughs> <laughs> So, so basically, someone has bought the most important asset in pizza, the 
you know, I, I keep down that number, but they're like, uh, your pizza will be there in three to six weeks. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm surprised the Slotsky's Cinnabon conglomerate didn't uh, pick them up. I guess Slotsky's has a pretty good pizza, but I, you know, I, I think, I think there's some synergies to be achieved there. Some cheesergies do have a lot of well, savings. You know, I, I've got, I've got a business relationship with Slotsky's too. And, and I got Still? burned when they, when, when they declared bankruptcy too. <laughs> oh, a lot of history. Matt's got some bad, uh, fast, casual dining experience. They were actually a, a paying customer of my Linux kiosk company. So, uh. brutal. <laughs> Linux kiosk. Those were the days. Those were the days. Good so, time. You know, speaking of the days, I saw that yes. uh, that presidential hopeful, uh, that that Beto guy, used to be in the Dead Cow Society. I'd forgotten yes. about them, and I I, oh did, I actually I don't know if I ever knew this, but I didn't realize they were El Paso based. I, yeah, I, yep, I was yep. probably confusing them with what was the name of the German group that was the uh, the big hackers in the BBS days. What the, didn't they have some funny name? I don't oh know. God! So so I uh, I probably tangentially knew him um, back in those days because I used to go to Taco Land his BBS. Oh. <laughs> So, but it's it's being portrayed right as sort of like this hacking group, but isn't it just more just like people that wanted free software and like is is like what exactly went on here? Oh geez, so I mean you know the the heady heydays of, of the uh, late eighties Austin you know cyber scene or whatever you know you you got your Bruce Sterling mm-hmm. and uh, your Fringeware and um, so I was I was a assistant. Uh, BBS manager for um, an oh assistant God, what was BBS the name of it? manager. Well, like like there was a guy who who founded a BBS, and uh, how am I drawing a blank on the name? Oh my God, I was like fifteen, sixteen, and we ran a large Apple BBS uh, that had a fair amount of wares. I'm sorry, um, and I ran all the two GS stuff, and then you know so that yes, there was definitely a, a, a wares side of it, like you know, but then also. It was the early days of the internet, right? There was no Twitter or Facebook or any of that stuff. There was barely email. And so people would write like long form message board stuff. We had, you know, news groups and uh I don't know, there's probably crap I wrote out there too. Yeah. Um did you actually do like <laughs> like kind of like what is it, UUCP syncing of content like around yes. So, so you, yes. there was some network that they all used that was kind of like that. That wasn't Usenet necessarily, but it was. No, it wasn't Usenet. It was something else. I, An I NTP just, or something? Uh, uh, yeah, school. but it's funny because it wasn't even like internet stuff. It was this weird point to point batch job thing. With, well, with yeah. Logos. And, and, and the guy who ran uh, the BBS here in Austin was, he had like four phone lines into his house. Yeah. Which. Yeah. You that, know, that was the kind of crazy, crazy. Stuff had to do, right? Yeah. And uh, I mean, and and like, uh, I knew Mike. I I bought a hard drive from Michael Dell out of his apartment, <laughs> and it was like four hundred dollars for forty megabytes. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it was just those early days. Uh, and look, look how it turned out for him. Yeah. It was it was a good yeah. sale. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that that uh, Austin early days uh, all coming back together and then uh uh what was that that book about the guy who got uh, you know so they had the the big hacker crackdown mm-hmm. and uh they had the steve jobs games that had the hackers or steve video, jackson uh, 
Steve Jackson. Yes, sorry. Steve Jackson games, and they had the the like RP role playing game of hackers, and the FBI raided them, thinking it was like some sort of hacker thing. It was like I knew people who got arrested by the FBI. It was weird. But they actually had like a BBS with some slight shenanigans going on, right? It's no, they didn't. It was really? like yeah. Yeah, it was literally like. Didn't hey. they run like Illuminati? <laughs> but a lot, most of that stuff wasn't real. Mm, okay, all right, all right. I'll have to go look that up. <laughs> uh, Matt, is it this turns why you're out in Australia was, now? It was just a the, game. Out of the reach of the uh, the FBI. I'm not out of the reach over here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I I statute of limitations. I was you know 15, 16. I whatever. Done. I like it. Yeah. yeah. And I, yeah, it was mostly like, it was weird social stuff, you know? Yeah. I, yeah. I don't think I ever wrote about like, you know, uh, the need to get rid of currency or anything like that, <laughs> but I would read that stuff, right? <laughs> the need to get rid of currency. Yeah. Yeah. I was making me remember that fringeware store we used to have down there where, uh, I don't even know what's there now, but yeah, that, that was fun to go in there. There was like no yeah, other place the, to go the, with wacky stuff in it. Yeah, it was the the basement of the uh, the bank. Oh yeah, it was there. But oh, then wait, they wait, had they was, had a was... store. They had a store next to uh, wherever. I don't know. No, that was I, I forget that dude's name, but I think he does like like Len the big Bender. data workshops and yeah, yeah, whatever. It's, it's it's Len Bender. Yeah, yeah he, he had a whole other store. Yeah, he's still doing stuff in Austin. Uh, conferences, uh, like data days and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's back when you yeah. could like buy a book and the whole premise of the book was that guy who would like hang weights from his balls. That was just like <laughs> <laughs> Well the, it, it was like the the one bookstore that had all the O'Reilly stuff and like And the research you know, books. Seven Yeah, and, 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 but also like 18th century French poetry, mm. right? Cuz they were catering to like the graduates at UT, like all the weird esoteric bookstores cuz he had been the the book buyer for the co-op Oh, I see. I see. So he knew all the high margin books and he would stock those and computer books. Yeah. And <laughs> and, and the, the ball hanger. Yes. Yeah. Huh. Oh. And sorry for the tangent. That's no but, no, I'm the one who brought it up. It's is like a memory yeah. lane there. It's good stuff. Well, listen, listen, I think every week we get to talk about uh open source no longer a viable business. I think I think uh our our my my old coworker boss Stephen O'Grady he he wrote one of his open source pieces. Now I I want did, did you two read this piece? I did. Can can y'all summarize it for me? What what uh, cuz I think what I remember at the end is that he drew up uh this is all a rational chain of events that happened, kind of like a tit yep. for tat, I think, which is right. Which I think is is a take we might have, which is like I don't know, business is business. Doesn't matter if the word open or source is in it. What are you going to do? Yeah. And so, but but as as always with a very level headed thing, I think I think what I always uh, sort of miss is the. Uh, I wish there was a better phrase for this, but there I don't think there was like some sort of killing blow of just like and therefore. <laughs> well, there the, there can't be a killing blow, right? You're like, and at the end of this war well everyone was still alive and making money <laughs> well well for for example for example in in the comment verse right and by the way if you like last when i went to go read the comments first of all it's astounding yeah. that people left comments on his blog post i didn't know people still do that that's great uh but you go read them and there's some in there that are like this is why you should never read the comments because they're fucking stupid 
right? Like there's, there's some really fun ones in there, but anyhow, like if you read the comments and the Twitter stuff, right? Like one of, one of the, uh, uh, conclusions that's laying out there for people to make is that, um, uh, funding, uh, open source companies is now not a bad idea, right? Which he kind of wangles around with, right? So you could say, so that, so therefore, uh, there should be less VC funding of open source because it's not viable. Just in the way that, like, I don't know, if you wanted to be a VC for uh, LibreOffice, probably not a good idea, right? Like, <laughs> that's probably not the profile that you want to invest in. Now, a uh, uh, it's not ancillary, but a related, uh, and therefore would be um, uh, all these VCs investing in open source was just a hustle and a scam. It was, like, dumb. Right. And I don't know what dumb is, but it was like some some way slightly not pure. So you also pick up that sense for it. And then you could have a conclusion that was like, well, so you would have the obvious conclusion that most people seem to want to make, which is like Amazon's a bunch of dicks. Right. Like, (laughs) like, you know, this is sort of like the thing that we all like just like could say in our sleep is like we even referenced it earlier, like, oh, Oracle owns MySQL. So obviously that's going to get fucked. Right. Like. Like, so you could make this conclusion that like, if Amazon's replicating this stuff, it's all, it's going to be a similar bad thing. So that's, that's a, and therefore you could make, right? So my whole point is like, like, uh, have we gotten to the conclusive and therefore, or is it just like, you know, it's still, we, we took a big box of possibilities and basically kicked it into like a big field. And now that's what we have. Yeah. Uh, but I thought he was making I, – I thought his analogy because he opens up with the – I guess the World War One, right? Like all these – and that's the whole powder keg thing. I thought what he was saying or at least implying strongly at the end is that if what you know VC-funded open source companies that are trying to survive on their own, right? If they all – start to adopt this, you know, more proprietary licensing scheme or, you know, this kind of um, – then – you know, that will then force the cloud vendors to respond by, you know, doing something, either like, you know, forking the projects or yeah, buying no, them you're, or you're reminding me. But, it, it, yeah. um, but he kind of like, but he sets it up like, like just because of his first analogy, I took that to mean, yeah, because then like, like, and he doesn't mean war in the literal sense, but like something will be lost, right? We will have lost this. The two sides will be at fighting and in the, the greater good, like all of us lose out. And I, I guess that's the part I don't think at least to me, it didn't really, um, I don't know, that part I didn't, it didn't really, I guess, reach me, right? It was like, well, I yeah. mean, that may happen, but another way to say that is just to say that, you know, this idea of the open core, you know, uh, business is, is for the most part, you know, not going to work going forward. And I don't, but I don't yeah. see that as like a, that's not like a huge loss. It's just like, yes, I mean, I still think the idea of open source, people, you know, building open source projects for lots of reasons will continue on. I mean, I think there'll just be more motivations, but the idea that there will be a uh, heavily VC-backed company using yeah. an open core licensing model, it's like, okay, that's fine. But that's not, like to your your point, Kote, it's like, I just kind of feel like that's like, that's just business. Like, we don't necessarily have to be sad about that. And And if anything, like this is, uh, I guess my final point, just to summarize all this, is like I think we've kind of known this for a while, but this just may be the death nail that sort of like makes it more obvious to everybody and everyone funding these companies that it's just aren't viable going forward. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, yeah. The takeaway for me was was definitely look, uh, VC backed Open Core had a good run, but everyone now knows the score, right? That someone bigger than you, uh, probably a cloud is going to take what you do and commercialize it for themselves with or without you. And 
then it just kind of stops. But I think the part you could fill the in world. there. Yeah. But there is a part you could fill in and say, and it's like, and say the next source of open source innovation, as we're kind of seeing it, where these projects may come from, in addition to the traditional cloud vendors, will be like the the Lyft, the Netflix, where they build something internally that what their motivation will be is like, we think this is really good. In fact, we'd actually like to see more people using it and maybe even eventually cloud vendors picking it up and incorporating that. And that may, you know, I think we're already seeing that. That's where like a lot of the major projects come from today, right? Like I think Istio released and that came out of was it Lyft or I can't remember Mall or Sidecar came from Lyft and you know uh, and so like it just may be the motivations or the place this comes from is slightly different and there won't be this like I have this idea I'm going to use open source to bootstrap and create demand for my product and then I'm going to try to go sell them something later on like that may be over but again like I don't think that's new even yeah yeah but I I, I think if you start to miss out on the smaller VC back companies what you're missing out on is kind of the, the people on the frontier of, of trying to drag people into new uh, modes of operating, right? I, I mean, you know, I work at a small you know, VC-backed company and I'm going and talking to large traditional companies that they're not ready to consume cloud or Kubernetes or any of that stuff. And it's like, this is a foot in the door towards that world. If you don't have small companies pushing that sort of stuff, you know, uh, is, is, you know, big bank... X going to go call up Amazon and like, hey, I need you to get us started on a migration path towards your cloud. It's like, well, that just means that Amazon now has to do a lot more professional services and engagement. And, you know, it, it just feels like part of that, that integration triangle of, of, you know, product and platform and work is getting lost. But I think you kind of hit on some of the important things is like, I still think, you know, just like the the major like unicorn companies, maybe the source of open source projects, I think for now and forever, what I would call like the the guys that start as consultants that are kind of like, if you will, on the ground, fighting the fires, helping customers are always going to be a source of creating their own tools, which often lead to open source projects, which sometimes turn into licensing things. And I just think that what has changed for those guys or that group of people is like, I don't think anyone should take 50 million or a hundred million dollars in VC and try to build like a billion dollar business. But that doesn't mean that they can't build some tools, license them themselves, make probably the most of their money through support, you know, and various services, service offerings. And then, you know, maybe that grows into something else. Yeah. But I, I also don't see like, you know, mid-size, you know, small, mid-size SIs making an aggressive bet on something new. Mm. And I think, I, I think, you know, what, what you, what you used to see from like, if we go back into like the networking space, you know, if, if somebody had a crazy idea at Cisco, they'd spin out a startup and Cisco would be like, all right, you know, you've got three years and then we're going to acquire you back. If, if you can prove this out, maybe that's the model that like the clouds will have to start doing is, is more aggressive, like, you know, just experiments. But I, I think if you if you lose that that startup market of open source stuff, you lose some of your experimentation. Because what mm -hmm. you're going to get is, hey, we are you know, we are Uber, and we spun out this open source project that makes it easier to integrate our public cloud with our on-prem Kubernetes. Like, how does that help you know a big bank? Right. Mm -hmm. But I will say this. But I think that that business that once would be like they would have spun out started like an open core open source model i think that business what they would do now they would spin out 
build that that up and their initial goal isn't necessarily being open source it's getting in the cat the catalogs for aws gcp and azure right saying like we're providing something new we need to get in those catalogs or find a way for us to easily be installed in those catalogs yeah. and developing and that's how you get and so instead of being open source and using that to drive demand you're like you say we're on all the major cloud vendors solving a problem none of them you know have a the right solution for and start to drive adoption of that because that's either going to position them for acquisition or if there is the case where one of them especially if you get on all three major clouds if somebody forks it or, or, or replicates it, well, then you at least have two other vendors that can kind of say, you know, use that as potentially a competitive differentiation, right? So I think that the way that goes to market now is different, but I don't, I still think there's a window for those people that are solving this problem. Yeah, I, I, mean, I, I, I think, I think, I, I think we've covered some good, uh, uh, picking out the pile of stuff from the box. Like, like I, I guess, I guess the, the, the reason this kind of thing always, uh, upsets me intellectually is like i feel i feel like open source has always as as y'all are saying there's three things it does one uh it gets you the talent sometimes to develop something that would be difficult to do otherwise sort of and then two it's like really good marketing basically it's like hey whoever is gonna like developers or operators you can use this thing for free and tinker with it so it's easy to evaluate and use versus like you know a three months install engagement that costs several hundred thousand dollars and then and then three there's some kind of like channel effects of like this is a way of selling things like upgrading from it and i don't know there's some business thing but which is all fine right but then on the other hand there's also like atlassian I don't know. They're not open source, <laughs> yeah. right? And no, and no. and like and then there are things that are like SaaS more or less like ServiceNow and New Relic. Like I mean there's plenty of non-open source successes. So to that point, like it's just like it's uh, you know, business is business, right? Like at the yeah. end of the day, however you did this offer or whatever license it is, if you can get someone to give you money for it, then you've got business. Now, yeah. I I guess I guess what I'm always searching for is like uh, I always want there to be some sort of like Nietzschean reevaluation of like, oh, that was all just really weird that we thought all of that, right? Like some some kind of like, I don't know, like some kind of evaluation of like, well, that was a fun episode. Now let's get back to doing software, right? And <laughs> yeah. whereas like there there never is like there's always this kind of scurrying around, and you see it come out. Um, one of the common things, and I think there's a comment even on his post that comes up. And we kind of covered it is like, there's no reason for an open, I don't know why I'm doing that voice. There's no reason for an open source company to seek to be worth billions of dollars is a perfectly fine business in just doing services around it. And kind of hidden between the lines, there is this moral statement of you shouldn't try to make a lot of money off of open source. And so like, that's what I'm always interested in, is like, what's going on with that, right? Like, what well, is the, because I feel like, and, and then the reason why I think there's an interesting, and I don't feel like I can comment on it because I'm not in that world, so more or less. But the the reason there's an interesting line of thought there is, well, you've kind of walked yourself up on the plank and given Amazon yeah, a saw, yeah. right? And like yeah. you didn't realize you were doing that. So like, now what? <laughs> right? I mean, like, it, it, yeah, it's almost as if open source businesses have a natural ceiling. Where, you know, if you cross this threshold of making too much money, someone's going to want your money. Right, right. And, and then there's this fundamental <laughs> flaw that I think was 
I don't know if it was unanticipated or ignored where like, and, you know, this is my common thing of like, if you can freely give away the thing, someone's going to come along and not pay you for it. Oh, <laughs> right. Yeah. And then, and then even worse, someone's going to come along, not pay you for it and then sell it. And it's sort of like the whole post GPL, the whole open source thing. That's like, it's fatal flaw no pun intended at the core, right? Like, like all, all of the virtues and everything, all the benefits you want from open source, like is easily assassinated by this one little problem. Right. And so it feels like the open source world should be like, well, a, we should fix that (laughs) or, (laughs) or, or B that, I guess that was a bad idea. Let's move on with our life. Right. Like, and, and I don't know, no one seems to uh, evaluate that. Like, I don't know, that, that conversation never comes up in a way that is satisfying or, or that doesn't just turn into a, you know, a nerd fight of just yeah. whatever. I don't know. That's, <laughs> that's why I'm always frustrated with it. So there's, uh, you know, there's some other news. Like, let, let me, before, before we try to, like, wrap up here, let me, let me, every time chips come up, you know I have to ask. Uh, so why the fuck do, why I, do I, care I care about, like, Google doing some <laughs> gaming thing? Like, what? Oh man! It's it, like yeah. I mean, their their track record in doing new businesses in the consumer space is um, well known, uh, and so I guess are they doing a framework for running games or what's going on there? And then and then yeah. AMD wins, I guess, which sort of makes sense, but that seems a little um, cart before success. Like if Google was a runaway thing that basically ran all the video games, and of course the AMD people and NVIDIA would do great. But like, uh, you probably need to wait to give the horse that award before, right, right. you know, until they win it. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Google announced at, uh, at the GDC conference this week that they are, uh, launching a, a gaming service uh, called Stadia. Um, I read a, a bit about it. Uh, that's more than but... me. <laughs> well, um, essentially, there there have been and are other gaming services where you know you have a, a lightweight, a fairly lightweight console or you know even web browser on your TV uh, or, or computer, and most of the processing happens in the cloud, and it sends oh, things okay, down okay. to you. So, which means it's like, like VDI, exactly. <laughs> Right, right, and it just—it's—it's exactly like VDI uh, for gaming, and they're like, and we're gonna have you know mumble mumble lots of games, and they're like, hey, what what kind of lots of games? And they're like, well, we've got this Assassin's Creed game and this other game, and like, and and and, isn't Assassin's Creed great? (laughs) And they're like, let me blow your mind. We have Assassin's Creed Caveman, and we got that one too. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. So they 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 had a a big announcement of a streaming platform that other people have tried. Uh, not a lot of content for the games yet. Um, and you know, when we say that other people have tried, people have tried and failed. Uh, and then down in the like, there's a little asterisk, and and some of the announcements are like um, expectation of up to twenty gigabytes an hour bandwidth. Whoa. <laughs> and i was like all right you just narrowed the number of people who can handle this kind of stuff to like yeah well people with like you know people streaming 4k netflix yeah ba- uh, basically huge in the netherlands 
nowhere else. <laughs> right, right. And, <laughs> the and North American market out. <laughs> right. Uh, so it's it's going to be a hard business model um, to make work. And then, you know, interestingly, they said you don't have to host it on, on GCP. Uh, so they will be open to, you know, um, your games running on other clouds and funneling their content through, you know, the Stadia APIs, I guess. Um, and then, uh, but what I found entertaining was uh, somebody... Uh, I don't know who Justin Severson is, but uh, this got tweeted around on some of the game people I know. They they pre-wrote a sunset post for Stadia. <laughs> All right. Well, that was a good I summary. Say, though, I, I, I was, was just curious. More, uh, I was more bullish on the whole thing because I thought like a couple of things would jump out to me. It's like, uh, and maybe part of it is just being a parent of uh, an eight-year-old boy who's sort of like on the verge of getting more into this this world of gaming. It's like, if you just step back from it, like the idea of like all the different consoles and the various hardwares and gaming PCs, it's, it, it is, you know, the fact that you have to go buy all that and manage it, like it is a pain. Right. And the fact that like so many of, uh, so much of this gaming universe is surrounded by streaming, right. Streaming your games and, and all of that. And the idea that like, uh, and then of course their success with YouTube, right. Because that I think has been an unqualified success. Um, and the idea that like if you're because just watching my son as if you're watching someone play a game and being able to join them, you know, that like that natural kind of this whole new generation coming up, like all of that makes a lot of sense to me. And the fact that Google has used a lot or is familiar with scale. Right. Obviously, they've dealt with scale and whether it's streaming video or streaming or just search. Right. So there's there is some strategy or a reason that we should think that they have maybe more technical prowess than the people that have come before. Um, like all of that kind of game. And then of course the thing when they did with AMD, cause all the, this is an area I don't really know well, but all the gamers, right. It's always like, you know, getting the right GPU and all that. The fact that they essentially, from what I can tell, will give you, you know, every one of these users gets its own GPU. Right. Mm. And that seems to be always the complaint that, um, and then you, know, you think if you go ahead forward, it's like, and then not having to upgrade GPUs and upgrade your PCs, like it all makes a lot of sense. And then, you know, the final point is like, I don't know, you know, I don't know if we should even say 5G or other things, but if they're building it in anticipation of having more bandwidth, right? It, you know, it kind of makes sense to me, right? All of those things like make sense to me that I see why one, it's a huge market. And then two, why they would be willing to put like a pretty big bet on it. So yeah. I don't know if it's going to work, but I, I did, you know, I, I know I just uh, gave them more credit on this one than maybe some of the past ones yeah no that makes sense i mean i i guess i guess uh it's a good reminder that there's kind of two categories of announcements one of them is like uh you know go go down to target and you can buy it and and the other one was like hey we're gonna try out something new and maybe it'll be awesome maybe it won't yeah. like we're, we're starting off a venture and and so like that's that's fine that's cool and and sure yeah like uh I don't know. It makes me think like, you know, people basically gamers are kind of like flash traders, right? Like they probably all want to live in like New Jersey or maybe Manhattan to be really close to the servers and they just need their like millisecond things or whatever. But man, yeah. they, they, they get to be crazy. But but this is another case of like, I think if this gets any traction, Amazon's already got all the framework to just destroy it. Right? Oh, those guys got, again. Those guys again, right? Like if if you connect the dots, like Amazon's already got Lumberyard, which is a game framework that's really wired into AWS already. They own Twitch, which is a massive like site for gamers to watch other gamers. Like you know, you're you're you know, you said your son is like watching games and and that kind of stuff. Like so are my kids. They're watching on Twitch. Amazon owns that. And then like you know, they've already Amazon's already got their 
uh, Netflix and YouTube competition for video streaming, that, that stuff's already available and wired up, right? So if they're like, oh, okay, that's a thing. You know, they've already got GPUs. They can already just, you know, come reinvent. They could announce they've got the same thing, only they've been, you know, they've had the hardware and, and experience running these things for over a year. Mm-hmm. Well, so, let me like, let me go back and just say a couple of things. Like one, one is, uh, as like I said, just, just the, the father in speaking of me, like, I don't care who does it. I don't want to have to keep buying these, like these, uh, gaming PCs and like yeah. reading about the GPUs. So like if someone wants to do it and just be the number one, it's great. And it seems like I agree with you. Like I, I would say I would give maybe Google slightly more of a chance just cause I think if they, like the YouTube kind of connection is a strong connection and maybe they can leverage that as a good entry point into games. But I totally grant you that uh, all of that stuff, Twitch and AWS, but it's just, you know, AWS hasn't done it yet or Amazon. Right. And so if I almost would take it as like, if Amazon entered, it would like, at least in the same way, it would lead me to believe that like everybody believes the time is right. Like conditions are now, you know, it's like the difference between, you know, being wrong and being early is the same, right? The, and then the idea is like, okay, well maybe it is, maybe it's just like, this is now finally coming of age and yeah, Amazon and you assume that you assume uh, Microsoft will get involved as well. And it would just be like, okay, it's going to happen. And then we'll just have to see how it plays out. Yeah. But I do, I don't know. I mean, I think it's, you, you kind of have to like break it into two points. Like is the technology and the internet, if you will, ready for this and then secondly who's gonna win and uh i think it's like i said i think given because i'm always amazed uh at how many how much money is spent on games how it's like more than movies more than sports more than everything it's like it makes total sense why people are just you know trying to get into this so uh it was such yeah. a force so well, well see what happens. i i think i think we learned one thing even in this episode our advice and uh, you know give it I don't know if we should get it free of charge. We'll send a bill. But our advice to Google and their friends, do not open source it. Just, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's, maybe you can do that clever uh, sort of Kubernetes-style thing where you open source the wafer-thin layer on top and the actual implementation is done differently. Just don't open source your gaming platform. It's not going to turn out well. Don't well, worry. they're public cloud. You know they won't. Oh, yeah. See? <laughs> See that? that? Anyway, not to open that can of worms back up but that would be an interesting discussion right but like what what is all that like for example to posit the conclusive statement public cloud companies should not do open source along with three pages of what exactly that means right but that would be that would be a fun thing anyways hey there's a lot of conferences going on uh just this week uh actually going on right now is the spring one tour in amsterdam where i happen to uh, be and live we had one in london i don't even know what's happening next week but if you go to spring one tour.io we got all sorts of cities i think it's like 100 150 dollars to show up you can come there see all sorts of spring stuff it's, it's a good event uh and uh i'll be at a few other events here and there I haven't really updated the the sheet in a while, but you should uh, you should come to the Spring One tours. And also, as you might recall, this is my new joke. Let me see how you'll like this. So recently, <laughs> uh, I, I worked on this thing with uh, O'Reilly. As O'Reilly calls it, it's a report. But as everyone else in the world except them calls it, a book. Uh, and see that that was that is that good? That usually gets a good laugh. <laughs> All right, good. I'm glad I, I even though I had to prompt it, it still works. <laughs> Anyhow. 
you know, it's like they say, comedians don't ever laugh at jokes. They're just like, yes, that was good. So I'll take that. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, if you go to cote.io slash better software, you can find a link to it. It's about a hundred page, how to improve your, uh, your software, little stories of things. And, uh, I don't know that kind of stuff. But how about yourself, Matt Ray? Are you any, any, uh, things you're going to, or are you just uh, buckling down working on the, the granola? <laughs> um, you will find me at Chefkov. That's my next uh, mm. public talk that I currently have scheduled. Um, I'll be in the U.S. next week, but uh, not for conferences, just for work. Bummer. Yeah. Bummer. Yeah. Just get some tacos. That you should yep. you should print up a shirt that you wear every day that just says "I'm just here for the tacos." <laughs> how, how about yourself, Brandon? What's going on? What's going on in the Brandon neck of the woods? Let's see. Uh... No conferences to speak of, but listen, we got some good listener feedback this week. Uh, John from Manchester, he got a new laptop, so I sent him a bunch more stickers. And I can send you stickers if you send me your postal address at stickers at softwaredefinedtalk.com. And I also said last week, if you posted a job in the Slack channel, I'd read it. So we've got a couple good ones. So one, Netflix is looking for uh, an SRE. It looks like that job's based out in California. So if you're in the Slack channels, you can look up Ryan Kitchens. He'll tell you all about it. There's a system and some back-end back end engineer at, I hope I'm saying it right, Graphics. That's in Madrid, so that's close to Cote. If you want to like work in Spain, sounds like a good job. And then Get yourself uh, this other guy. And strange none of us tortillas. Know. Yeah, I was going to say, and this other guy that I've never heard of, his name is Matt Ray. He actually said there are, there are actually a ton of jobs open at Chef. So uh, if you want to live in Seattle, there's a bunch of jobs. And it, actually, if you want to live all over there are a lot of even remote jobs so you could probably look matt ray up because they look like they're hiring there at yep. chef so uh so check all of those out and finally uh we've got uh, just two t-shirts left so you could have it uh matt ray asked me for one but i didn't have his size as well so fear not listeners i'm not just ignoring you i'm ignoring our, our co-host as well <laughs> but i have one black one gray t-shirt remaining uh write us a review stars and overcast do something to support the show send me your email uh or sorry, send me your postal address again at stickers at softwaredefinedtalk.com and I will send you one of the remaining t-shirts. So mm. check all that stuff out. I got I got to go post some job links in that Slack channel. That sounds good. As I like to tell people, we get a good referral bonus at uh, Pivotal. So you got to work here 90 days, day 91. I don't give a fuck what you do. Just stay 90 <laughs> days. <laughs> and then you can do whatever you like. Enjoy your life. Well, uh... Yeah, as mentioned, you should join the Slack channel. That's always lots of fun. And we got all of our stuff over there in the Twitter and the Instagram and the LinkedIn. You can go you go to softwaredefinedtalk.com. You can find that. But more importantly, Matt Ray, what do you recommend this week? Uh, well, I'm uh, finishing up the call, and I'm uh, headed over to uh, a gym that I started going to. So um, if you're in... Uh, if you're in the northern beaches, come uh, come hang out at 100 Strong Manly. It's uh, an old-school kettlebell kind of gym. Um, yeah, that's what I'm up to. Does that mean there's like a superhero living in the basement who's kind of ratty and like, you know, <laughs> mops the floor so he can live in there? <laughs> uh, uh, no, I think he lives uh, a couple blocks away. <laughs> okay, okay. Is, is, there, is there like an old boxing coach who like wears a, uh, a knit hat? No, no. Uh, there's a. I think he's a, a Australian kettleball champion. Whoa, <laughs> kettleball. I guess that's what the the Commonwealth people call it is a kettleball, right? Instead of just like a pot ball. Like, well, what's a pot ball? I don't know. That joke didn't work out. 
No, I'll, I'll go ahead. Oh, that out. butthole. I get it. Because you got oh, a kettle. They call God. everything a kettle. No, no, no. Don't, don't edit that out. That is prime content. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The, the, the obscure O'Reilly joke. Not so yes. successful. The really terrible kettle joke. Winner. Yes. All right. Kettle belt. Oh, Bell. All right. They're not throwing hot water at each other. The manly stuff, so to speak. Uh, Brandon, how about yourself? What do you have to recommend? Yeah, well, you know, I had to watch it. I I watched The Inventor Out for Blood in Silicon Valley. That was the uh, Theranos documentary. So I think in a previous uh, episode, I recommended both the podcast and the book Bad Blood. So, you know, obviously I knew the story very well reading it, but I still thought The Inventor uh, and just to see all the interviews of Elizabeth Holmes was just utterly fascinating. Like it's, I can't watch this enough. It's crazy uh, to see. Uh, really, all just right. just her uh, her demeanor, and uh, of course, like knowing about all the lies, it makes it even interesting to look back. So I think if you work in tech at all, it'll be interesting for you to watch. And then uh, I don't know, like it's just Elizabeth Holmes. She's a fascinating character to see her uh, do that. So after you watch it though, if you want to watch something uh, even funnier or I don't know, maybe something funny about it uh, is uh, this uh, Twitter uh, uh, person. I guess her name is Tavi. I don't want to say Givenson. Anyway, she was the founder of uh, like rookie. It's kind of like a tween magazine that closed down. I think she's really popular. Uh, amongst that but anyway she does just the most perfect impression of elizabeth holmes afterwards uh, so it's really really funny to watch so i put a link in there as well so if you've been following the story watch that it's it's a fun thing to watch uh but again a fascinating story of just i don't know leadership gone wrong let's say in silicon valley so check it out yeah i i, I was i was kind of uh uh i don't know lazily listening to a podcast earlier this week and they're talking about how there's this awesome documentary that, that you should see and check out uh, and so I kind of heard about it, and then and then uh, I I heard that it was a uh, it was like a uh, a Thanos documentary, and I was thinking like how awesome would that be if like Marvel came up with this like documentary about uh, it's Thanos right the guy who wants to kill half of everyone yeah, yeah like yeah. that would be an awesome conceit that like we're gonna make this documentary about this figure because like after the big event you know. You're gonna send who's the guy who does all the interviews with like Donald Rumsfeld and whatever. Like, you know, you send that guy out and just to do an interview with Thanos and that would be great. And then and then over a couple of days, I realized, oh, they were talking about the Theranos documentary. Oh, uh, so I like a, your idea. I think that would be a good I think Marvel, I'm get tired of just the movies. That would be great. Uh, like a documentary style interview with one a Marvel character. I would like that. But yeah, Most but it's got to be Deadpool would be great. It's got to be totally. Well, well. I guess that would be a sort of exception. It's got to be like straight, like not yeah. like not corny. I mean, and you could pull that off with a Deadpool, but it's got to be like if there was a genuine interview you were having, and uh, that would be. No, awesome. I like that. That that's good. We need yeah. to pitch that up to Netflix. Yeah. Well, well. Speaking of of fun inanity, my recommendation this week. I might have recommended this before, but I want to recommend Pee Wee's Big Vacation. I, I was reminded of this uh, this movie recently. I was hanging out with uh, one of my coworkers, this guy, Bob. Taco Bob, I like to call him. Bob Brindley. He emcees a lot of the events that we have. And I, I was telling him my favorite phrase from that movie is the, uh, let me let you, let me let you go, basically. <laughs> <laughs> Which, well, how does it go? Let me let you let me go. Right. Which I think... That's that we we all would enjoy that. That's kind of my approach to most social situations. Uh, but 
he reminded me of, of, and I'll put a link to this. If you don't want to see the whole movie, you should at least go see this clip. There's this scene where he's hanging out with a bunch of Amish people. And, uh, and he shows them some balloon tricks. And it's just like, it's, it's like, a, it's just perfect. 12 wow. out of 10. It's like perfectly executed, good concept. The timing is wonderful. But the movie as a whole is, uh, it's pretty good. It's, it's kind of like mature peewee. You'll see. Just check All right. Out. All right. Well, as always, this has been Software Defined Talk. If you want to get the show notes for this episode, you can go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 171. There's a bunch of other little links in there we didn't cover. Uh, links to other things. Did I mention there's links there? Uh, you should, should coin join us, come join us on the Slack channel. We also have a discount code for uh, DevOps Days Minneapolis in there uh, if you want to go to that fine event much later in this year. You should check it out. And with that, we'll see everyone next time. Bye-bye. Bye.